it's different, and I know from coming in where I wasn't reared around church and that sort of thing, wasn't didn't have that blessing to be a part of it. The uh, you come in church and we set up straight, we listen to what's going on, be a part of it. But it's not a formal, rigid thing. Uh, it's organized. Uh, it's kind of funny. Sometimes we'll have uh, young folks who come and and such and don't have family here, and they come on their own. And I think that's awesome that they do that. And they find out this is a place. It's organized. There's a structure to it. There's behavior in here. But it's a loving place. It's a good place. And let me tell you, people who actually love and care about people don't allow things just to be all sloppy and whatever goes, and you do whatever you want. When that's going on, love's not there. Love always has a a structure to it, a discipline to it. And I appreciate it much. appreciate the good song. And I, I, I tell you, it's all right if you enjoy singing. It's all right if you enjoy singing in the congregation. Let God get a hold of you. And uh, let God work in your life. Don't be afraid of that at all. And uh, it's, it's a good, good thing. been a busy week. I said it to you during the week. I'll say it to you again today. I appreciate very much all the effort that goes in. Uh, you make a difference. It helps us. It grows us. It also helps those who come our way. We're blessing the folks. And I appreciate that. Uh, and it takes a lot. Busy time. I know it's crazy. I had a little fun this year. I set my odometer at the beginning of the week because I just wonder. I've never done this before. And, and uh, all the airport driving stuff. And so I understand. I drove 881 miles during conference week. And that's, uh, that's a busy week. Some of y'all drove a lot back and forth. All the extra that goes into it. And uh, uh, you're looking at the preacher who appreciates it, appreciates every effort that goes into making it happen. Uh, you got here and made it from work. And some of y'all getting your youngins ready every day and making sure they were here and in the services and it's because you want to be in the house of the Lord and that's a wonderful thing it really is and I appreciate it a lot um, tonight I hope you won't miss uh, the six o'clock hour make it the Lord's day just set that in your mind brother uh, Robertson used to say it takes three to thrive and uh, there's a lot of truth to that uh, you figure if uh, if you were made three services a week and had all the preaching three services a week Average is less than an hour of service, and you would have less than 150 hours of Bible instruction in a year. And you think how much instruction we get in other places. And that's if you take advantage of that's available. You had Sunday school, and of course it helps. But uh, be there. Be here for the service. Make it the Lord's Day. Make it the priority. Uh, don't set up things in the middle of the afternoon that might bump you out. Uh, you know, there are a lot of things that can be done at different times. Make it the Lord's day and be in God's house. Tonight, I hope you'll be here, God will, and I'll be speaking on the subject of my shepherd. And you're going to learn some things about your Savior tonight that'll be a blessing to you. And I'm telling you, I'll encourage your heart. I'm excited uh, about it, excited about what uh, the Lord's given me for tonight and that. But this morning, I want you to go to the book of James, please. Let's go to the book of James, towards the end of your New Testament. It's right after the book of Hebrews, book of James. I'm going to speak to you this morning on the subject of a biblical expose of the double-minded man. Biblical expose, teaching you something out of the Bible. God's people always want to learn God's Bible. On the double-minded man. I'll help you with that this morning. It's something we have to watch for. James chapter 1 is where we're going to start. Um... The word double-minded, that term double-minded, it's not a word, but that phrase, that term double-minded occurs twice in the Scripture. Only two times. It occurs here in James 1, and it occurs in James 4. So basically bookends within the book of James this concept of being double-minded. It, uh, we have warnings about what double-minded causes in the Old Testament, the term double-minded isn't used, but you understand from another word in the passage that's talking about somebody's double-minded. It talks about uh, Reuben, one of the sons of the fellow named Israel, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel. And he said, Reuben, he says, the beginning of my power and might, the beginning of my excellency, he said, unstable as water, thou shalt not excel. In other words, Reuben had a lot of potential. But he was never going to excel in his life because he was unstable. I had somebody yesterday was talking to me about a 
meeting that they were supposed to have upcoming within the next couple of days. And they said, uh, well, so-and-so is supposed to meet with me. And they said, as you know, that's always subject to change. That other person is not somebody involved in our church or anything at all. Hasn't ever been. But they said, it's more of a business type thing. And they said, as you know, because I know the other person as well. They said, they're supposed to meet with me tomorrow. But listen to this statement. But as you know, any meeting with them is always subject to change. That is not what you want people to say about you. Well, I think they'll be there. Well, I think they'll show up. Well, you know, they said they're going to be. Is so-and-so coming? Well, they said they are. Now, if that's what's said about you, there's some fixing needs to go on in your life. And it needs to start with the heart. Because people should be able to depend on you to be where you're supposed to be, when you're supposed to be there, and count on you to keep your word once you get it. May God help us to do it. I mean, it's got to be important. You're looking at a preacher who is against ish. You know, that's real popular a little while back. Ish. I'll be there at nine ish. I'll be there with sort of ish. Look at look at here. Biblically speaking, you're looking at a preacher who's against ish. You ain't a fish, you don't need ish, alright? Why? Because I'll tell you what ish is. I'll tell you what that little thing is. That little cute, snarky little thing is. Exactly what it is. That's people who won't commit to things. They show up if they feel like it. Come to church if they feel like it or something else isn't going on. I was in fear of the Lord this morning. I'll be honest with you. I was in fear of the Lord this morning thinking about where our country is. I said because of elections? No. Because of God's people. I look how lightly esteemed the house of God's becoming to God's people. I'm not even now talking about that so many churches have been turned into nothing but cheap, second-rate rock and roll shows and are a disgrace to the name of Christ. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about God's people just whatever with church. You say, well, that's not important. As you view the house of God, so you view the God of the house. And it, it's a serious matter. I'm scared for that. I, I, I fear I fear my grandchildren coming up. I fear with you young people in here and uh, people playing around, fooling around with things and think things are going to go on like they are. They're not. There's an end to it. And uh, we better pay attention as God's people. I got thinking about this too this morning, Brother John. I already did. This thing is just kind of consuming my mind. If my people which are called by my name. What's the very first thing he said if they'll do? If they'll do what? Humble themselves and pray. The only reason we don't pray is we're not humble. That convicts me. I've always been blessed with a decent amount of stamina and strength. And uh, I watch for that. I don't want to be dependent on my own strength. I have a capacity for impromptu speech. I believe God gave me so that I could preach. I, I can get up. You can give me a subject. If I know anything about it, I could just get up and talk uh, on the spur of the moment with it. I think any preacher probably has that ability because of the calling of their life. Man, I don't ever want to do that. I don't ever want to not have sought the Lord. I don't want to ever feed you something that's just something that's popped into my mind. Doesn't matter. You know, it's serious business. You've, you've got a soul inside of you and I have a soul inside of me that needs fed. I got to think about this thing. If my people... So I said, okay, Lord, I'm one of them. I, what do I do? Shall humble themselves. First thing that God said we have to address before we even turn from our wicked ways is we have to humble ourselves. That tells you the way that's laid out. The first issue we have to deal with is pride. Proud people. We're proud people as Americans, aren't we? Yeah. At the preacher's breakfast on Tuesday, we met at 8 o'clock. And uh, by the way, everything went wonderful. Those of you who worked and helped in the meal, it was beyond first class. And I uh, appreciate that much. Um, but we met and uh, <laughs> talking about this place or that place and Brother... Uh, uh, they were talking about different churches and things that have happened in different churches. Um, Brother Terrell showed us a picture. He was preaching at a place over in 
Western Ohio. Fella came in and Campbell with some kind of knapsack on, had a big knife on the side, started roaming around all over the platform, actually came up on the platform and said, I want to say a few words here. And Brother Terrell said, I told the pastor, he said, he said, your security got to him after he's on the platform. We need to get him before he gets there. <laughs> and uh, so then the guy went out. He went out in the parking lot. He went down to another church and he's doing that. I told him there's a church in Western Ohio. I know the church. The guy, and now you think about this. The guy came in with a long coat on and had an AK under. Had to fold up that. Shot himself in the auditorium. But most people don't choose that particular type of weapon to shoot themselves with. And he survived it. I shot himself shoulder a while. But here's the wild thing about it. Some people at the church went over. This church over at Greenville Baptist Temple. They went over. Some of the people went, at the, went to where he was at in the hospital and everything with that. He didn't threaten anybody or something. He just walked in and did that. Well, they put security in place after that. And, uh, but they led him to Christ. He's been in the church ever since. Last I knew of. Doing well there. That's a wild way to get in the church. A couple other things were mentioned. I'm not trying to make you scared this morning, but here's what happened. This is funny how proud we are as Americans. So Brother Akamani's there, and he's saying to a couple of them, hey, you could come over. We have a pastor's conference. 130 pastors there. And he'll bring in fellas from the states to train the pastors, and then you go preach all day out in the village areas and stuff and go over into Ghana and Togo and all that area. And one of the men at the table said, is it safe to go over there? And I sat back and started laughing. And they said, what, brother man? I said, here we are talking about Brother Terrell had this guy come up with a knife. This one had the gun. This one had this. This one had that. And I said, we're wondering, is it safe in Togo? Let me ask you, is it safe, <laughs> is it safe in Ohio? You say, oh, it's not. No, it's not. But that's the thing about it. We need to humble ourselves. Realize we need God. We need to quit being proud and arrogant about things. And uh, may God help us to do it. And so, let's let's look here at the look here at the scripture. Double-minded man. What does that mean? Because this is at the root a lot of it. A lot of what's going on as far as the weakening of churches has to do with people being double-minded. They don't know what they're about or what they're doing. And I'm going to help you with the scripture this morning. I don't. My message is not to get here and bemoan what's lacking, but to put something good in you to help you do what's right. And so, in James chapter one, verse one, it says, "James, a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ." to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Meaning there, the descendants and these Israelites, many saved people, had been uh, scattered into many different countries, which are scattered abroad greeting. And then he says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Diverse means different types, different intensities, different categories. He said, count it joy when you fall into temptation. It could be a temptation towards a sinful act. We understand that. Well, it could also be a temptation to maybe quit on the Lord or not do what's right to do. So there's a lot of things that can come under that, that uh, classification of temptation. He said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh what, church? Patience. But he goes on. He said, Now, he said, the trying of your faith, the trying of your faith is the idea it's put to the test. It's put to the test. Here you say you believe something. Now we're going to put it to the test. You say you believe you're living for the Lord, but then you go out and your friends put pressure on you to do something you know is wrong. Your faith's been put on trial. You say you believe in following the Lord, but then you go and at work, you're pushed to do something you don't believe and don't agree with. Your faith's put on trial. You go in a time of darkness in your heart and in your mind and in a down place where it doesn't seem like you can hear from the Lord and the Bible seems like a closed book to you and you hear preaching but it doesn't affect you like it did and the songs of God don't do what they did. Your faith's on trial. Do you believe the Lord when you can't see Him clearly? Do you believe the Lord when you don't feel upbeat, when it's not in the middle of an exciting conference? You're trying to the faith. Here's what it says. Knowing this, that the trying your faith work of patience. But it doesn't end there. But let patience have her perfect work. Now notice the phrasing that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. You have no lack, no want of anything. Now it's interesting, the word perfect and entire deals not only with the idea of the perfection, deals uh, with the a completion and the maturity, but entire, it means that it's been brought to its full measure. In other words, you have everything you need, but then you're learning how to use it properly. You're, you're, made, you're made complete in the Lord. How's that happen? When our faith is, is tried, 
And patience has a perfect work. In other words, that doesn't happen immediately. <laughs> I was kind of got tickled this morning having lived in Chicago. Well, look up at me if you will, please. Here, look up at me if you will. Uh, the, uh, um, having lived in Chicago for a while, I really appreciated something I saw this morning. It was kind of funny. It came to the intersection of Route 22 and 33 there, you know, coming in on Lincoln, coming in from the west. And uh, there was a car, there were three of us, and the light turned green, and there was a good little pause there before that first car took off. I don't know what the story was. And I was back of it. I didn't honk, the person from me didn't honk, and then that car eventually went. And I was remembering, in Chicago, you could not get to the accelerator fast enough not to get honked at. I mean, you could be looking right at and go, you know. Definition of a split second, they used to say, was the time between when the light turns green and when they honk and behind you in Chicago. And I don't mean toot, hey, you know, somebody's looking down. I mean, what's the matter with you, you know. And it just it was like that all the time, crazy stuff. And as one of my drivers used to say in the roofing company, one of my drivers used to come back and say, too much people's in Chicago, man. He'd say that every day. Too much people's in Chicago. I agreed with it. But um, anyway, it, I was looking at that. And, you know, we, we're not a patient people. You go through, something takes a little time. You push a button for something to happen, and it doesn't happen instantly. You beat it to death. You know, how many of us have messed up our computer? Because we keep clicking for it to do the same thing and totally freak it out. And why? Because, you know, we're not patient people. And by, God said patience has a work. I'm talking about being double-minded here. But look where it leads to. It says the patience. We've got to let patience have a perfect work. It's a perfecting work. It's making us complete, mature. Why? So that we can go through and learn some things. Look what it says. Let's continue on. Verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which you give it to all men. How? Liberally. He gives it to you in abundance. Given all men liberally and upbraideth not. The term upbraid means to be scolded. God doesn't scold you when you come to Him and say, I need wisdom. I don't know how to do something. He doesn't say to you when you come to God and say, God, I don't know how to do that. He doesn't say, well, why don't you know that? Don't you hate that when you don't know something and you ask somebody, how do I do that? Why don't you know that? Well, because I don't know it, doofus. Why are you asking me a dumb question? If I knew, I wouldn't be asking you. Now would I? And uh, I don't do well in those situations. I hope you'll pray for that. That's area sanctification. I could probably work on truthfully. But it says, the, but He doesn't upbraid you. God doesn't upbraid you. You cannot know the Bible at all. You can just be learning what it means to be a Christian person. God doesn't sit there and give you a hard time when you're trying to go to Him. When you're trying to head His direction. I'm glad for that. But it says there, it says, if you like wisdom. I'm talking about particular wisdoms for specific situations. I'm talking about general wisdom so we can operate. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Look at the end of that. And it shall be given him. And it shall be given him. I remember how my soul thrilled to find that verse as a teenager when I first started studying the Bible. I believe that verse. And God will give you wisdom if you'll seek him to get his wisdom on things. But you say, what's this got to do with being double-minded? Look in verse 6. But let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is his way of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is what? Unstable. Where? In all his ways. Pay attention. Look up. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways in the way he does everything in life. Being double-minded literally affects every aspect of our living. By the way, that's why I started out with talking to you about Reuben back there in Genesis because it says, unstable is water, thou shalt not excel. And I told you the word double-minded is not there, but you know he's double-minded because look what it says here in James. He's driven like wind, with wind and tossed. It's talking about water. It's talking about the, the movement of water. Let not that man think that he shall receive anything in the Lord. Why? A double-minded man's unstable in all his ways. He's unstable as water. It just moves about. He, he has no stability at all. And I'm going to tell you, there is a want or a need of stability in Christian life to be settled and have some direction. But it's not going to happen while you're double-minded. Hmm. Do you know the battle, the big battle in our generation, and it has been, but it's, it's at a different level because of things that are available. The battle is for your mind. I'm, just, I'm not going to go into this deeply at the moment. He said, oh yeah, preacher. You know, 
there's evil things out there and things we shouldn't be looking at, things we shouldn't be thinking about, and those things try to get our minds, and they're very available. Now you can, you know, you, when somebody wanted to look at stuff they shouldn't look at, they used to have to go find it. Now it comes and finds them. It's a different world of that. But that's not all I'm talking about. Now I'm not going to go into this in depth right now because it's not this morning's message. But there's a battle for the way your mind functions. You know what terrifies me for the next generation? Terrifies me with good reason. That's something I've been teaching you all the whole time I've been here as the pastor, which predates internet by quite a while. That's how old I am. I was pastor here before the internet ever existed. Before, before Al Gore invented it, you know. What scares me to death, little kids in the restaurant. Here's how parents take care of them. Watch your screen. In the car, watch your screen. First of all, I'm not going to even touch on the fact doofy people playing their screens loud in places where you're at. That's rude. Watch your screen so we can have a good meal. Just watch your little play screen. Watch your little screen and you watch your little kids. Some of you won't believe me on this. I invite you to do some actual study on it. It actually reprograms the processes of your mind. Not just what you're thinking about, how you think. I could right now take you, and most people who have been raised up around the screens, the internet and stuff, I could talk to you about their cognitive skills, their linear thinking capacities, their logical capacities, and they are severely impaired because of the way things come to them. In fact, it was interesting, I think it was a 2015 study, I may be off on the year, maybe been 2013, uh, done with Harvard where they could measure the eyes. They were watching young people reading and they had trouble reading a page because they were so used to watching the setup on screens that they would not follow from left to right, top to bottom, and they would jump around the page. And part of their cognitive disabilities, in other words, they could not discern what they were reading on a written page, came because they could not, they were not following things. They were jumping like this and missing parts. Anyone who's ever been involved in education knows one of the banes of education is just getting the cotton-picking students to actually read the entire instruction. Please underline each verb and please circle each adverb in the sentences. Why did I miss 50%? Because you missed every adverb. I didn't read that. Why? Because you stopped at the word verb. Oh, underlining the verb. So you didn't keep reading the rest of the directions. He said, did they do that? Obviously, you've never educated. Yes, adults do it too. I don't know how many times I've been talking to somebody about the Bible and I'll sit there, what does that verse say? And they'll read partway through the verse, look up, and then rattle off something they got from part of the verse. It's like, finish the verse. Read it all. He said, preacher, why do you make such a big deal? Guess how God chose to communicate with us through time and eternity? A book. Guess what you have an entire generation being, being completely taken away from? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. Can't teach them what's right because they don't have the endurance to listen long enough to learn something. Sound doctrine is not built on a little soundbite here and there. I, it scares me to death. And you can see it. And then you take your little screen away. And a little like, and that's the dad. <laughs> you know why we all laugh? Because like all good humor, there's an element of truth in it. That electronic pacifier. Got my binky. I bet that'll sound good on the podcast. Don't shoot on the phone before I broadcast. Preacher, you're against technology. I'm against intellectual enslavement. With some very wicked people setting up algorithms to feed you what they want to feed you to program the way you think. Becoming intellectual slaves on their little plantation. I go back to what I'm talking about. Double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Boy, I wish I had time to develop all that, but that's not this morning. There's a bunch there. I'm not just spouting off something to you. Some of you could testify. I used to warn just about the TVs. I'd say, step out of the room and watch how it flashes. Watch them. I, and I tell people, that affects the mind. Wasn't I preaching that before they ever had this, all this stuff? 
Absolutely. I came in preaching that way. Why? Because I knew what it was like. Hey, at one point they thought I might have epilepsy. I was very ill uh, when I first went to college. I had a serious surgery, outpatient, and things kind of went goofy with that. And I was having some health problems. I ended up at Mayo Clinic. And one of the things they did when they were testing me for epilepsy, they used the strobe lights, the flashing lights. Why? To see if they could set off a seizure. Why? Because certain patterns of light will cause certain things to happen inside your mind. Pretty amazing. Do you know that our strobes in our bathrooms here, you have uh, horn strobes in there for the fire fire alarm. You said, why do you have strobes in there? People like Joe, who's completely deaf, could have a fire out in this building, him not know it, so he'll see something flashing. Do you know those have to be off sequence so they don't induce epileptic seizures on people? They did. It's a serious thing. But let's look back at the scripture here. Try to teach us something. Talk about being unstable. Well, how are you going to raise a generation to be stable? If they don't have anything in them that makes them stable. If it's, how's this, this, how'd you do this, or this, I'm doing this while I'm reading the Bible, oh, this, oh, this, oh, this. <laughs> that makes for uh, people that are so easy to control and enslave, it's unbelievable. Why? Because they're unstable in all their ways. And they slam here and they slam there and they're double minded and you don't know what they're about. And kids coming up not knowing. Very serious and real situation. Uh, I had uh, someone, I'll just go completely vague on this, and it does not in any way involve our church, it's just somebody I know very well, and they're in a work situation. They're not a part of our church, but they're in a work situation. They're talking to me about this week. And in that work situation, the owner, the wife, the owner's wife, is a Christian lady raising a Christian home. The fellow's Muslim. They got married. At the point where they got married, they were both in a life of disobedience, each one to what they said they believed, but they got married. They've been married for 20-some years. But they made a decision. Now think about this. They had a child. And that child, who is now 20-some years old, they decided that neither of them was going to try to influence with the other's religion, the Muslim man, uh, saying, hey, I don't want him taught as a Christian. And the Christian wife said, I don't want him taught as a Muslim. So they didn't teach him anything. Um, and the person talking to me asked me to be praying for the young man. He said, because I'm, he said, as I'm talking to that person, I realize I'm dealing with a godless person. Because they looked at parent here, they looked at parent there, and over here is Muslim. And by the way, now, both of those, the husband and the wife, are both practicing their religions. Yeah, you know we're not spending really open to you know everything about that since church, but now here's this real situation. Now here's the thing about what happened. I'm talking about double-minded, and uh, the person talking to me said this this young man has a lot of He's in all kinds of trouble, all kinds of things going on, and a very sneering, sarcastic. I understand somebody can get that way with the best of parents, but don't you know everything was set up to cause that? Do you know that when we're unstable and double-minded, it causes trouble? Did Jesus go halfway to the cross for us? Did he just suffer a little for us? Or did he give his back to the smiter? And did he give himself completely for us? Did he only partially come out of the grave or did he arise with complete victory? Well, since our Savior went all the way for us, doesn't it stand to reason if we love him, we ought to give our life for him? Not talking about in what you do, whatever your vocation is, live as a person who loves the Lord completely in whatever it is you do. And so I'll show you the other one. Look in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And I understand this is not a camp meeting style preaching, but it's not the intention of this morning, not where I think the Lord has us. James chapter 4. Talks here the other time when double-minded Jews look in verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your own lust, which war in your members? You lust and have not. You kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. And then it goes a step deeper. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. You adulterers and adulteresses, which is exactly how God views those who are unfaithful to Him. 
Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? You would understand that word easily. It's from the same word as enemy. It's, it puts you in a, a status of enemy. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And you understand it's talking about the world system which is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The Bible defines that and you would understand that from other Scripture. Do you think the Scripture saith in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But He giveth more grace. Wherefore He saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. You put forth an active energy against. And he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, ye what? Double-minded. Then he goes on and tells the other things that we're to do there. Be afflicted and mourn and these sort of things. What is the remedy for the double mind? I think we see that it can easily be something that comes along. A double mind is being double-spirited. Vacillating back and forth. It's not that you can't decide about something. That's not being double-minded. It's not even being ambivalent. Being ambivalent, ambivalent meaning two, and it has to do with ambivalent means that you have conflicting emotions. That's not being double-minded. You can be ambivalent about something, you know. Um, that's like uh, uh, there's something you think, ah, oh, man, there's a way I would like to do that, and a way I wouldn't do that, and a way I'd like to do that, and a way I wouldn't do that. That's not being double-minded. That's just that's ambivalence. That counts. But being double-minded is actually being double-spirited. You're living, trying to live as two different people within one heart, one mind. It was where the children of Israel at one point worshipped idols, but tried to also give fear to the Lord at the same time. It's the, it's the idea of having two spirits and, and, and not giving yourself wholly to following the Lord. Even when you are wholly following the Lord, there are times when you'll have a conflict of emotions because some things are conflicting. Okay, let me give you a very real example. Someone you love dearly that you know you love, that loves the Lord dearly, who has suffered long and hurts, they go on to heaven. That's a conflict of emotions. You're glad the fact that they no longer battle the whatever it was they were battling, that they're no longer hurting. But yet you have an emptiness inside of you and a missing them that nothing else can fill. And that's a conflict of emotion, but that's not being double-minded. You're not double-minded. You believe that they went to heaven. You believe that they're secure in Christ. You're glad about that. Your mind set on one direction, but you have a conflict of emotion. You see there's a difference? It'd be very easy to take the normal things we run into in life and, 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 and labeled as double-minded, but double-minded goes more than that. Double-minded is, it shows it this way, you're, you're very churchy around the church crowd, but when you're not, you're not. Your convictions and your life for Christ will not stand up if it's not being propped up all the time. Now that may just be because you're weak in the faith, but a big source of that weakness is being double-minded. You don't know what you are. <laughs> It's kind of a joke, and actually something almost exactly like this happened at the Battle of Gettysburg. But there was a joke about the fellow in the Civil War. He said he didn't want to offend anybody, so he put on gray trousers and a blue jacket. And he said the Southerner shot him in the top, the Northerner shot him in the bottom. Eh? That's what happened with that. It was, he was trying to be both. Can't be both. The Bible says this way, you cannot commune, you cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of devils. Um, why, what is this double-mindedness? What's a cure for it? What's a cure for when your mind takes off a different direction? What's a cure when you feel your faith weakening? Let me give you a couple of things with it. Consider the root and the remedy for it. The root, a double-minded man, is the outgrowth of impurity. Double-mindedness is an outgrowth of impurity. Look in James chapter 4. Look what it says in uh, verse 8. Draw nigh to God, and He will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. In other words, that's clean up what you're doing. Stop doing what you had been doing. One of the books I've been reading this last week, I almost got it done, uh, kind, of, kind of interesting, a few minutes between things at conference, has been uh, about a uh, lady who had been in slavery all her life, and she came out, 
And uh, her name is Sojourner Truth. And I was reading about her. A lot of some strange things in there, but she a remarkable lady in some aspects. And uh, she was talking about the man who had owned her as a slave. This was before abolition, before the before the Emancipation Proclamation, actually before the Civil War. Uh, he was converted at a meeting where they were actually preaching the gospel. He went back and let all his slaves free. He said, I cannot hold someone in slavery that's against the gospel of Christ to do that. And he let them free and he came and he saw her and he apologized for how he treated her. What happened then? He'd gotten right. This thing had actually changed life. That's what it's talking about. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, getting something right. That's like Zacchaeus. You remember that? When, when Jesus said, I'll be at your house today, Zacchaeus said, if I've taken anything wrongly, he said, I'll restore him fourfold. He's cleansing his hands. He's going to actually do something about what's wrong. I remember a lady walked out of the services here one night. She says, God's convicted me about booze, liquor. And she went home and poured everything down, down her sink. She said, I'm getting rid of it. It's gone. It's out of my life. It has no place. I'm talking about getting right, actually doing something instead of just talking about it. So we cleanse our hands, you sinners. And then look what it says. Purify your what? Are you there in 4 and verse 8? I believe it is. And purify your what? Heart ye what? The, the, the impure heart leads to a double mind. An impure heart leads to a double mind. Um, it's an amazing thing. Purify your heart to double minded. A pure heart is not only clean, catch this, but it's also singular in its focus. You could put clean orange juice in my glass up here with my water this morning. Now there's a question of purity. This glass is clean. You'd be able to see if it were not. If there were dirt or things in this, I could look at it and say that's impure because it had dirt in it. And by the way, don't bring me one of those, please. Anything to chew on while I'm I'm preaching. But if I looked at it, that would be impure because it would be dirt in it, right? But also, someone came up and they had a nice new container of orange juice. And it's good orange juice. I like orange juice. It's good orange juice. And they had it. And they poured that in this remaining space right here. I would no longer have pure water. Now, it doesn't mean that the things that were dirty, but they, it's not pure water and it's not pure orange juice. It's a mixture of the two, right? Well, the thing is, impurity or purify your hearts not only deals uh, with the uh, being clean, but it also means being singular in what we're thinking about. <laughs> the, the commandment. What did Jesus say? What is the first and greatest commandment in the Bible? Think about this. Jesus, God on the earth, when He is asked, point blank, God on the earth, is asked point blank, what is the greatest commandment? Here's what God said. It's His greatest commandment. What is it? Thou shalt do what? Love the Lord thy God with all thy, what's the first thing? Heart. Okay? And I understand the soul and strength of mine. I understand that. But love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. Now listen to this next statement carefully. This thing of loving the Lord thy God speaks not only of intensity, but it speaks of entirety. Not just intensity, love the Lord thy God, it's a passion, but entirety with all thy heart. So there's no part of my heart that does not love the Lord. First of all, the obvious thing would mean I don't give my heart to something that would be against the Lord. That's obvious, isn't it, from that? But also it means I don't exclude the Lord from anything I'm doing. That means I have different hobbies. You all have different hobbies. You all know I I like doing some cycling. If I'm out on my bicycle riding along, I am supposed to be having the Lord in my heart. I'm supposed to be communing with Him, enjoying Him, talking to Him. Okay, my wife and I are out. We have a little scooter we ride on. If we're out riding together, we have a little Bluetooth thing for a helmet. And we see something pretty. Hey, she'll say, hey, look at that. And I'll say, hey, look over there at that. And we see things. And I enjoy it because when I'm out, we'll see something neat. And we're just putting around on the back roads. And then you can share it with somebody you care about. Well, I'm out there by my bike. I'm everybody else on my bike. I'm riding along with that. And I see something uh, beautiful. Uh, uh, in summertime, I love the yellow finches. They'll come out the side of the road all of a sudden with a bunch of them. And, and I, I find myself saying something like, Lord, that's pretty. Lord, you sure have made some pretty stuff. Why? We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart. That means there's no area we leave Him out. Well, you know, preacher. <laughs> I mean, he said, the fellow in the church, he used to say to me, well, I know you talk about faith, but I'm talking about reality. Said to me again, well, I know you're talking about faith, preacher, but I'm talking about reality. 
Finally, I had about enough of that. You know? If I said to him, I still remember. He says, he said, I know, Bridget, you're talking about faith, but I'm talking about reality. And I said to him, well, I said to him, I said, you know, I hope that your faith sometimes becomes reality. I hope your faith actually becomes reality or it actually affects what you do day by day living. Because look, look here. If your belief in Christ doesn't affect your day by day living, if you say to God, you have no right to tell me in a certain area of your life, if you can't really put yourself under this book, and when you're taught clearly from this book, whether it has to do with your associations, whether it has to do with your appetites, whether it has to do with your amusements, whether it has to do with your appearance, if you can't be taught from this book and you're not going to do what it says, I hope that at some point your faith actually becomes a living faith. Because what you got right now is just religious show. And so what is it? It's not just intensity, but it is entirety with that. Then a pure or singular heart's vital for our cleanliness to the Lord. Christ revealed in Matthew 15, I'm not going to read the whole passage to you, maybe you want to mark that down and check it later. Christ revealed that the thing which defiles or makes us common, low, or dirty, a man is that which comes from within the man, not that which is from without, it comes from his heart. Matthew 15, again in verse 16, it talks about that. When Jesus, when they were upset because Jesus' disciples ate without washing their hands. Now it's a good idea to wash your hands. It's a good idea to be clean. I certainly try to be. We certainly try to be here. We, we sanitize stuff. I don't know, we're doing that. We've been doing that the whole time we've been here. We try to take care of things. We try to, try to be healthy about things. We're not, not jobs about it, but we try to do the right job. And it's a good idea. You go in somewhere. You know, if we had good enough eyes to see microbes, we'd probably be freaking out all the time, wouldn't we? I'm glad I can't tell you the truth. But, but some of Jesus' disciples ate and they hadn't went and washed their hands and they, they got chewed out. It wasn't over a health issue. They said, they're eating with unwashing hands. They're doing that and they act like they're creating a great sin. Let me tell you something. If I eat with my hands and don't, I don't wash the fellowship off my hands before I eat, I'm not sinning. Now. I, may, I may get ill from it, but I'm not sinning against God on that. But they're making a big religious issue. And Jesus took that opportunity and He told him, He says, it's not that from without that defiles a man. That can make your body sick, but it doesn't defile you. He said, it's that which comes out of the man that comes from his heart that defiles a man. For out of the heart, Jesus said, proceed thefts, envies, adulteries, murder, fornication. Those come from the heart of man. Do you know there are people you could take and put them in a room with $20 bills all over the floor. You could leave money sitting on the table. They could pass it a hundred times and they would never take any of it because it wasn't theirs. Do you know why? Because they do not have the heart of a thief. You have other people, you can put it under lock and key and they'll figure out a way to get in it. And they, they say, well, I picked it up because you know I took it. No, no, you took it. It wasn't yours. You took it because you're a thief. Problem was the proximity problem wasn't ease of access. The problem was your heart. Our two boys. One of them would not put things in his mouth. I mean, he just did. You could have put that kid in. When he was a little bit thing, you could have put him in a room full of marbles. He'd have never swallowed them. And I wouldn't have tried it just in case he freaked out. But that's, you know. The other one, you never knew what you were going to find in the mouth. He's like, open the mouth. And just anything that was laying, it was like, put it in the mouth. You know that? My brother, I, of course, he's six years older than me, so I wasn't there for this. My mom used to tell me one day she looked out and he was doing this. You know what he's doing? He's eating ants. <laughs> he's on ants. They got him somewhere. Huh? I don't know if red ants taste like licorice. I don't know. Yeah. You got some of those? <laughs> kind of bugged my mom. <laughs> But in the heart. Hey, look, what, what affects us is what comes out of our heart. The double mind comes from an impure heart. Now here's the thing about it. teach one other thing about this. Listen to it. The Bible reveals there's treasure in the heart of each person. And that treasure is actually deposited there a little at a time, time by time, as time goes on. Here's what Jesus said about it. He said, a good man... In Matthew 12, he said, A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things. 
And an evil man out of the evil treasure of the heart bringeth forth evil things. How did the treasure get in the heart? It was put in there decision by decision, moment by moment, and action by action. While we are doing things, we're building a treasure in our heart. Who we associate with, what we listen to, what we put in, it fills that treasure chest of our heart. And then, you can't fill that treasure chest of your heart with evil and then get good out of it. Some years ago, I preached a mess it's on that particular passage. And I handed out these little paper bags at the beginning of the service. And I had everything in the world. Some of them had like a hostess cupcake and a dollar bill and something nice in it. Other ones had, uh, I remember there was some dirt. One of them had a dead little, looked like a little dead weasel. I found a roadkill thing. And it was in one of them. Yeah, oh yeah, I had everything. It was amazing. And uh, I had two little boxes, and one said A and one said B. And I had certain people, they had these bags and they were sealed. They were closed. Little paper bags, like lunch bags. And uh, I called them up and I'd say, okay, what have you got? And they said A. They put it in A. The next one had B and they put it in B. Well, let's say all the A had the stuff like the dead weasel, you know, stuff like that. I mean, there's some, some pretty grotesque stuff in there. And then this one over here had all kinds of good things and stuff. And they, they saw him. And so I called somebody random. Nobody else knew what I was doing. He me with this. And I called somebody and said, come up. And you can choose out of either A or B. And I remember first person's like, they got the B. And they're like, oh, that's something neat. And I said, that's neat. They got it. And then somebody else, finally, someone got adventurous. And they pulled one out of the A. And I think the first person out got the road deal. It was just, just pretty awesome. I love this message. And they got this thing out there, and they, they said, oh, you know, what is this? It's a dead weasel. I don't know what it is. And uh, anyway, it's, uh, they're gross. Well, pretty soon, people quit going there. Hey, over here. Because they kind of figured out that, you know, that was bad. And here was the whole message. You know, you can't fill up A with all this dead stuff and all that. You can't put that in there and expect to find goodies in it. Because if you're not putting him in good, you're not going to get out good. Don't be surprised if you don't put in good, the mind gets messed up. That you become double-minded. And then it affects you in all your ways. Everything about you. Everything from your finances to your personal relationships gets destabilized because you're double-minded. And our God is not double-minded. I am the Lord thy God. I change not. He is very singular in what He does. And He wants His children to know what it's like to be singular in who we serve and what we do in our life. And a lot of lives are destroyed because people are stable. They're not truly Christian in all they're living. What is this? A double-minded man. The Bible exposes it. Mentioned twice in the Bible, both in the book of James. And then, look in Acts chapter 15. So why, how do we fix this if we see an instability? If we, if, we, if, if we have a repentance here to the acknowledging of truth, if we see this need in our life, or if we're going to be honest. Look in Acts chapter 15. How do we cleanse that? How do we get it straight? Acts 15, verse 8. In this talking about when the Gentiles were starting to receive the Word of God and they were coming into the church and how God was dealing with all people, not just the Jewish people. In verse 8 it says, And God which knoweth the hearts, alright, that's the issue here, bear them witness, giving them the Holy Ghost even as He did unto us, and put no difference between us and them, Jews and non-Jewish, purifying their what? How? By faith. Our hearts are purified by faith. Will you allow me to give you a solidly biblical definition that will help you understand how faith applies there? In this application, and this is a biblical, biblical statement, I'm not using all Bible words, but it's a biblical statement. Faith could accurately be described as a continual acting on the truth that we know. In this application, faith is... Believing on Christ. You said, well, what they did there was they received Christ and because of that, they were cleansed. Yes, they acted on what they learned that Jesus was the Savior. So they were cleansed because they received Christ. 
But then going forward in their lives, they would continually have the cleansing of Christ. Their heart can stay pure before God the same way that it started. The Bible makes a lot of that. You, you keep on the same way that you started. Because if you started the right way, you continue on that way. And by faith, what is faith? We act on what truth we know. So when I learn something from the Bible, faith is I act on it. A lack of faith is I just learn it, catalog it, and don't do anything with it. Because faith, according again to the book of James, without works is what? Dead. Being alone. And so faith to be real faith, living faith in the living God involves our living. Act on what you know. Don't cloud yourself with what you don't know. Don't worry yourself with what you haven't learned yet. Act on what you do know and God will give you more light and you will grow and you will keep going forward and it has a purifying effect. Because here's what's happening. When we act on what is revealed to us from the Word of God, we are submitting ourselves, humbling ourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. We are submitting ourselves to God and when we do that, it has a purifying effect and it causes us to be single-minded and by the way, I don't have time to develop this, single-hearted, which is another thing in the Bible it talks about there. So what is this double-minded man? We've got to watch for it. We can become very double-minded. When we do, we're unstable in all our ways. But God has an answer for it. What is that? That we, the trying of our faith, that it may work patience, and patience have a perfect work. Why? That we may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. And God will give it to us. Let me pray with you this morning. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for what you teach us through your word. God, I pray that this morning, kind of a meat and taters type of sermon, Lord, that you'll help your people to grow and be strengthened by it. And Lord, just uh, evaluate and look at things realistically. Not be satisfied, not to be stable, but follow you. God, if they're surrounded in their family and in their immediate people around them with a lot of instability, may they just learn to look to you so they can be solid and they can follow you in a right and a steady path. Pray you'll bless and help us to be a blessing to you through living for you. I ask in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand together please. Invitation time gives us opportunity to respond to the Lord while He's teaching us. I believe at this invitation you could ask the Lord, okay, where can I start in particular this very day? What area maybe of purifying what area of just say, hey, just be entirety here for God. Ask God and He'll help you. He'll guide you. Maybe some of you today need to ask God for specific wisdom. I'm talking about. And you would do that. Please, just sit down. In the area. the uh, specific wisdom about something. And ask God to help you and He'll guide you in that. Now, song invitation. Why don't you come this morning, if you will, please. Mm -hmm.